Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. I'm so glad that you're joining us today and tomorrow. I'm going to be talking about how to recover joyfully, right? We all have setbacks in life. You can't help that. But uh, I want you to know that you can come back and you can come back filled with joy. In the theological cartoon, Dennis the Menace. Dennis is looking at a department store window that has been decorated for Christmas. And Dennis says, well, last month was our giving thanks holiday. And Christmas is God's way of saying, you're welcome. Uh, That is talking about the joy of Christmas. But you know what? Joy is not just for Christmas. You can have joy all year round. Yesterday, we talked about mercy, mercy, mercy. And unfortunately, we ran out of time and I couldn't quite spend the time necessary to talk about how do I know that I have received God's mercy? Or another way of putting that question is, how do I know that I've been born again? There are four indicators, and I'm going to give you the references so that you know that I'm not just making these up. This is based upon God's word. What is the proof that I've received God's mercy? Number one, I am saved. Yep, that's what it is. You are not going to be saved unless you receive God's mercy. When you receive God's mercy, you are saved. Now, Paul knew that. Jesus knew that. Now you know it, and I know it, and Peter knows it too. 1 Peter 1.3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here it is. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So, if you have received God's mercy, you're saved. If you haven't received God's mercy, you're not saved. So why not, right now, pray to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior? You know, it's just a simple thing to do. It's a transfer of trust. I'm no longer trusting myself. I am throwing myself at the mercy of God, saying, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. I know that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for my sins. I know that he was buried, that he rose again the third day, and I'm going to put my confidence in him. I'm going to trust you to be merciful and gracious to me, and I, by faith, receive that free gift of salvation. You know, salvation is made available to everybody. Now, it's not automatic, but it's made available to everybody. Just recently, I had the opportunity of leading to Christ a young lady. This young lady was an agnostic. She had no faith in her home. She wasn't given the opportunity to go to church as a child. And she was raised in a home that was absent of faith. So she became an agnostic. You know what an agnostic is? An agnostic is one who says, I don't think God exists, but if he does exist, he certainly is not going to reveal himself to me, or he's not interested in having a relationship with me. An agnostic really doubts that God exists, but really can't prove it. So I want you to know something. God can reveal himself even to an agnostic. God can reveal himself to an atheist. You may be listening to me today and say, I don't even believe in God. I don't know why I'm listening to this crazy man on the radio. I don't know why I'm listening to this broadcast. I don't even believe God. Well, listen, let me ask you a question. You believe you have a heart that pumps within your chest? You believe you have a brain that is within your mind? Some people say, well, I don't believe in God because I can't see him. Listen, I can't see my heart. I can't see my brain. But I can tell you what, I've got both. Sometimes my brain is not as sharp as it used to be. Sometimes my heart doesn't beat as strong as I wish it did. But I know it's there because it keeps on beating. I know it's there. My brain is still working because I can still process and I'm still alive. Here is the proof that you have God's mercy, that God has revealed Jesus Christ to you, and you've been born again. Here's another proof. Number two, 
I know that I've received God's mercy because I'm merciful. Now, that seems like a no-brainer, but Jesus said, Luke 6, 36, judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, Paul says in Romans chapter 8, there is no judgment, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. How do I eradicate myself from the judgment of God? It's not because I deserve it. It's not because I can work hard enough, because judgment is without mercy. But God has given me his mercy, and mercy triumphs over judgment. And if I receive that mercy, guess what happens to me? I become merciful. You ever run into somebody and they're filled with bitterness and resentment? You know what's the problem? They've never been born again. They have never received mercy. See, mercy is tied in with forgiveness. Jesus taught his disciples to pray, and part of that prayer is, Father, forgive us of our trespasses. For if we don't forgive men of their trespasses, neither will our Father which is in heaven forgive us of our trespasses. You get forgiveness because of the mercy of God. When you receive God's mercy, not only do you give mercy, but you also give forgiveness. Here's the third thing. I know that I'm a recipient of God's mercy because I'm saved, I'm merciful. And then number three, I am blessed. This is what Jesus said, Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Mercy is like oxygen. You can't get too much of it. The more you get mercy, the more you give. And so Matthew 9, 13, Jesus says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous but sinners. Jesus says, those who need mercy the most, those who deserve it the least, are the ones who receive it. God's not looking for a sacrifice to atone for our sins. He's looking for us to trust the Savior to deliver us based upon the mercy that he gives us. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You know, that reminds me of the Old Testament. And Samuel is given a charge to King Saul, 1 Samuel chapter 22, I believe it is, And King Saul is to go out and destroy all the livestock of the Amalekites. He's to go out and destroy all the people, and he's going to come back victorious. Don't save the livestock. Don't save the sheep. Don't save the people. Don't save anybody. It's kill them all, right? Now, that seems harsh to our way of thinking, but that's the command that was given. So Saul comes back victorious, but he didn't follow completely. He saved some of the lambs. He saved the king. So Samuel comes back and says to Saul, Hey, hey, hey King Saul, um, I hear some sheep in the background. What's the bleeding of the sheep that I hear in the background? And King Saul is quick, right? He's, oh, 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 yeah, I, you know, I did save those for a reason. I saved those so I could sacrifice them. I want to sacrifice them to the Lord. And Samuel says that God does not desire sacrifice. He desires obedience. Jesus says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. Listen, when you are receiving God's mercy, you are blessed and you live in full obedience. There's one other thing that's a proof that you have God's mercy. You're saved, you're merciful, you're blessed. And number four, you're secure. Hebrews 4.16. Let us come with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive, there it is, mercy and find grace in our time of need. Have you ever noticed how you walk when you're not lost versus how you walk when you don't know where you're going? 
when you don't know where you're going, you're insecure in your walk, you're kind of wandering around, looking this way, looking that way, but when you know where you're going, you are on mission. You are on point. You know, whenever I walk around throughout the prison, I am walking with security. I know where I'm going. I know why I'm going there. I even know how I'm going to get there. I walk with security because I'm secure in Christ. Paul says, you will find confidence as you draw near to the throne of grace, and then you receive mercy, and you find grace in your time of need. You know why this is so important? This is so important because God knows what we need. And if we will come before his throne of grace, we're going to receive that mercy, and we're going to get that help that we need in time of need. You know, just this morning, I went to the hospital, and uh, the mother of one of our members is in the hospital. And I shared Christ briefly with this person. Wanted to make sure that they knew Christ. And I said, the reason it's so important that you know Christ is because when you're sick, especially when your back is against a wall, when you're lying in a hospital, when you don't know what to do, you can still live in confidence. You can draw near to God's throne of grace, and he's going to give you that mercy and give you that help that you need in your time of need. Well, let's talk about how we can live in joy. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but over the last several months, it seems like America has been stuck in a gloomy time. It doesn't seem to me that people are as joyful as they were maybe a couple years ago, like before COVID. It seems like we're over COVID, but we still haven't got our joy back. It reminds me of Isaiah 9-6, beginning really at verse number two. There's people are walking in darkness, says Isaiah. Now, remember, Isaiah was the prophet of really doom and destruction, the wrath of God. You know, the day of the Lord is found in the book of Isaiah. But he also has this ray of hope. He says, yes, you're living in darkness. These are gloomy times, but we will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, a light will shine upon them. And verse 6 tells us why. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders, and he shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Well, I want you to know, you can have joy. And joy is found in the Savior. Unto us a child is born, but a son is given, and he shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So today, do you have joy? It's an important issue. You know, joy is a serious serious issue. Now, if my wife is never happy, that would reflect poorly on me as a husband. If my wife is unhappy all the time, what does that say about me as a husband? If my children never experienced joy in life, if my children were not cheerful, but always seemed filled with remorse and always melancholy and always sad, that would say something about me as a father, me as a parent. Why? Because God wants us to be witnesses with our countenance. The Bible tells us that the Christian life, the life that God wants for you, is the kingdom of God. And it can be summed up in just a few words. This is what the Bible says, Romans 14, 17. The kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink. In other words, the life that God has for you, God's kingdom, God's rule, and God's reign, it's not about the rules, the regulations, and the rituals. It's not about what you eat. It's not about what you drink. Here it is, the kingdom of God, verse 17, Romans 14, is about living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Reality is, though, you can lose joy so quickly. It's very easy to lose, and there are thousands of ways to lose it. 
There are thousands of joy killers in life that will rob you of your joy. Even to the point that somebody like Jeremiah, a prophet of God, could say, the joy of our hearts has ended in Lamentations 5. It's okay. I really don't need any help with learning how to lose my joy. I need help on how to get my joy back. The first step is that I need to admit that I've lost it. The way you do that is real simple. You look at your past and you ask yourself a couple of questions. Has there ever been a time in my life when I was closer to God than I am right now? Has there ever been a time in my life that I was more joyful in the Lord than I am right now? If so, now is the chance to make the change. But you've got to start by admitting that you've lost what you've had in the past. You could ask God about it, right? He's waiting to help you. This is how David cried out to the Lord. Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation. He doesn't say, restore my salvation. He didn't lose his salvation. He couldn't lose his salvation. He lost a joy. He has lost a joy in his salvation. So, number one, admit I've lost my joy. Analyze, number two, what is the cause? You look at your life and you ask yourself, well, how did I lose it? How did I lose my joy? What is robbing me of my joy? What are the killjoys in my life? It just doesn't walk away from you. It doesn't just walk out of your life. There are certain things, circumstances, or people, or actions that rob us of our joy. So we have to look at our lives. The Bible tells us to do this many times. It tells us to examine ourselves. Here's just an example. Lamentations chapter 3, verse number 40. Let us examine our ways, let us test them, and let us return to the Lord. Now, I don't know if you notice this, but I notice this often. It is very easy for me to analyze everyone else but me. So as we look at this verse, there's three things. Examine your ways. Number two, test your ways. Number three, return. That's how you get your joy back. You examine your life. What has caused me to lose my joy? You test it out. What are the killjoys in my life? Then you return to the Lord. I'm going to give you some examples of things in our lives that will cause us to lose joy. Number one would be an unbalanced schedule. You know, God did not design us to run 24-7. So when you've got too much going on in your life and your schedule gets unbalanced, you don't have time for rest and recreation, and you're always just going, 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 you are going to snap. You're going to lose your joy. So look at your schedule. Is my schedule out of balance? There's another thing that will cause us to lose our joy. And the second would be an unused talent. You know, God has given each and every one of us a talent. You may think this is strange. If I go too long without teaching and preaching the Word of God, I lose my joy. Now, speaking a lot is a lot of work, but there's a lot of joy that I receive. There is a fulfillment that I receive. There's a joy that I receive as I teach God's Word, as I proclaim God's Word. Listen, God has given you a specific talent. Maybe your talent is not preaching and teaching the Word of God. Maybe your talent is singing and worshiping and leading others to worship, and you're not using that gift. Well, listen, if you don't use that gift, you're going to lose that gift, and you're going to lose your joy. Use the talents that God has given you. You know, recently, we just pulled off a big event, a daddy-daughter date night, and we had well over 100 people attend that event. I'm so glad that we had some talented people there that could organize that and put that all together. And I was talking to our events team, and I said at the end of the event, I said, you all did an amazing job. I said, you know, if I was in charge of this thing, it would have been organized mass chaos. 
Oh, yeah, that's what it would have been. There'd been a food fight in the middle of it. If I was organizing that thing, it would have been a disaster, right? Because that's really not my gift. Recently, I got a new computer, and I couldn't figure out how to transfer all my files from the old computer. I couldn't even figure out how to get all of the uh, uh, the software that I needed on it. So I got a friend, and I said, now, Brother Ted, can you help a brother out? And he did. He got all my files transferred over, and uh, the computer's working great, and that's his talents. I'm so glad that we have different people with different talents. We're in the middle of building a building right now. We just laid over 8,000 square feet of flooring, painted eight classrooms, and unbelievable the talented people that are able to help us out with that. Next week, they're going to be installing cabinets. People can do all that kind of stuff. I'm so glad that they are able to do that. Listen, God gives us a talent. When we don't use that talent, we will lose our joy. Number three, unconfessed sin. Did you know that your secret sin that you're harboring right now, it is open scandal up in heaven. It's not taking heaven by surprise. Unconfessed sin. That's what happened to David. He lost the joy of his salvation because he knew that he was an adulterer. He knew that he was a murderer. He was trying to cover it up. Most commentators say that David spent about a year living in misery because he had unconfessed sin. Some people said he went crazy and he battled mental health issues and he battled physically. One commentator said they believe that David even got leprosy in that one year as he was living with unconfessed sin. He definitely lost the joy of his salvation. He acknowledged that. He says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Here's the fourth way that we lose joy in our lives. Unresolved conflict. Oh, I hate conflict, don't you? Oh man, I'm not a confrontational person. I don't like when there's conflict, and I'm one of these guys, I like to pretend it doesn't happen, right? Let's go along to get along. But unresolved conflict will cause you to lose your joy. Jesus even gives us a three-step process for how to deal with conflict. Jesus says, if your brother has ought against you, you go to your brother. You know, most unresolved conflict is unresolved because it's been unaddressed. Listen, go to the person that you have the conflict with. Yeah, be prayed up. Jesus says, before you go to your brother, make sure you get that a big old telephone pole out of your own eye, and then you can see that speck in your brother's eye. But go to your brother. Go to him prayerfully, considering yourself. Go to him humbly, lest you also fall. But most conflict, not all, but most conflict can be resolved by confronting the person that we're conflicted with. And then number five, we lose our joy when we have an unnourished spirit. Now, the same is true physically as it is emotionally. Listen, when you get worn down and you don't get enough sleep and you don't eat right and you don't get any exercise, your body is undernourished. It affects your spirit. An undernourished spirit is a spirit that hasn't spent time in God's Word. You know, if I could force every Christian to do one thing, now I can't, but if I could... If I could say every Christian must and will do this every day, I'd say if you would spend 15 to 20 minutes every single day in God's Word, praying every single day, you won't have an undernourished spirit. You won't worry about your pastor didn't feed you enough on Sunday. You will be so nourished that when the end of that sermon, you'll be sharing some things with the pastor about things that you've learned from that text that he talked about that very day. Listen, an undernourished spirit is a spirit that loses its joy. Now, I know people who attend everything in church. When the doors are open, you're there. You come in and you get spiritually fed, but you're not using it. So you're just spiritually getting fatter and fatter and fatter. So this is the opposite end. 
an undernourished spirit and an overnourished spirit are equally bad. But pretty soon, if you're one that just attends everything, but you don't use your gifts, pretty soon you're so fat. We just have to roll you down the aisle. And maybe that's where they get the term holy rollers, right? You got a fat Christian, you just got to roll them down the aisle. It's just too much input and not enough expression. Somebody said this, impression without expression leads to depression. That means you can sit, you can take notes week after week. You can listen to all kinds of teaching. You can listen to it on the radio, on the broadcast, the podcast. But if you don't do anything about it, you're going to lose your joy. You have to live a balanced life. You've got to give it out. You've got to take it in. Now, this may shock you, but Bible study without ministry, input without output, actually over the long haul is bad for you. 1 Corinthians 8, 1 says, knowledge will puff you up, but love builds you up. The man who thinks he knows something doesn't know yet as he ought to know, but the man who loves God is known by God. Why is he known by God? Because you get more and more knowledge, but the Bible says the more you know, the more you're accountable for. So it's actually increasing the amount of judgment on your life because you know more, but you're not doing anything about it. What I'm saying here is for joy to happen in your life, you have to have balance. We know this physically. In your diet, you have to have an equal balance of fats and carbs and protein and chocolate. Well, not chocolate. I threw that one in there. But you have to have balance in your life or you're not going to have joy. Take any of them out, and you're not going to have a healthy balance. Now, the same is true spiritually. You've got to have worship. You've got to have fellowship. You've got to have Bible study. You've got to have ministry experiences by serving. You have to have outreach experiences where you share with other people. If any of these are missing, your life is imbalanced. You've got to have a little bit of all this. You can rationalize it consciously, but it festers in your subconscious. And you can begin to feel the drain. It kind of happens like like a slow leak. It festers in your mind. You can't be enthusiastic about it. You can't be joyful at the same time as you're feeling guilty. Guilt and joy cannot be in the same mind at the same way. Well, I think I reiterated that point enough. If you want to have joy in your life, number one, you've got to no longer deny what is causing you to lose your joy. Number two, you've got to analyze. Why am I losing my joy? And then number three, you got to correct what is wrong. Now, I need to look and I need you to say, what is the killjoy in my life? And how can I correct it? How can I change it? How can I solve it? You know, I've talked, and I've been walking with Christ now for over 50 years. And I've talked to a lot of people during this time. And during that time, I've noticed the number one reason that people lose their joy is when you know the right thing to do, and then you don't do it. That will rob you of your joy faster than anything else. When you know the right thing, and then you don't do it. James 4.17, James says, anyone who knows the right thing to do but doesn't do it 
is sinning. Enough for me. I know something God wants me to do. He hasn't told you to do it, but he's told me to do it, and I know it's the right thing to do. And if I don't do it, that is sin for me, and it causes me to lose joy. So let me ask you very bluntly, what do you know you need to be doing, but you're not? What has God told you to do, but you haven't started doing it yet? The secret to continual, abundant, overflowing joy is obedience. It's doing what God tells you to do. Every time you do what God tells you to do, your life is going to be filled with joy. Every time you ignore it, you're going to be headed in a dead end. You're going to lose your joy. Because when you look at the commandments, some of them seem the absolute opposite of human nature. It's not what I'm naturally wanting to do. When God says, for instance, I want you to give the first 10% of your income and you don't want to do it, what happens? You lose your joy. You may not lose financial security, but you lose your joy. So I want to encourage you to join me tomorrow. We're going to have part two on how to recover joy. Even when in the midst of trouble, you can still have the joy of the Lord. Thank you so much for joining me. I look forward to speaking with you tomorrow. God bless you. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.